Hello, welcome to Feed That Nation. I'm your host, Natalie Nation, and today's episode is part B of an awesome discussion around a topic that most college students are familiar with, the Freshman 15. In part A of this episode, I chatted with Christina Meyer-Jacks, a registered dietitian in the Twin Cities area, about lifestyle, environmental, and health factors that can influence weight gain in first-year college students. We identified many areas that college campuses can take initiatives to improve student health, and now, in Part B, I'm going to continue that discussion with Jessica Shonsby. Jess is a Master's of Public Health student at St. Catherine University in St. Paul, Minnesota. She is also a resident coordinator for the St. Kate's Residence Life Office, meaning that she helps to manage student life and residence hall policies within a cluster of residence halls. Jess and I are both students and employees of St. Catherine University, and we would like to say that our views and opinions are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers or our current or past educational institutions. The first question I asked Jess was, what would you say are the most important things that a university can do to promote the health of its student population? Yeah, that's, I think, um, a million-dollar question, and I think as we as a society are moving more towards being more mindful about our own personal health, I think this is something that's kind of falling behind in the area of residence life. I don't know if when we are designing campuses we are really thinking about what's best for the health of our students. Um, So for me, one of the first things is available Um, counselors and accessible 24-7. A lot of what we see is there not being enough counselors, the hours being too short, they're not available on the weekends. It's just not a great situation for our resident students. And because they're not able to get the counseling that they need, it often impacts their ability to sleep, their ability to study, their just ability to function to their full capacity and have a really well-rounded experience. Um, In addition to that, I, oh gosh, I definitely think that our our residence halls themselves could be more mindfully designed in terms of more community spaces. In an ideal world, I would love to see like a small workout room in each building Mm -hmm. because I know even students don't want to come across, you know, a whole 100 yards from their building to come and exercise in the Butler Center, which is completely ridiculous, but it's understandable. I mean, it gets cold here. They don't want to walk outside. And on our college campus, it might only be 100 yards away, but if you went to a few miles down the road, we have the University of Minnesota where you might end up walking a mile or more to get to the rec center. Right. And there's some college campuses who still don't even have really fully staffed and stocked um, gyms. So then students are having to travel off campus, and then that's a you know, a further deterrent. So if we had something in the residence halls, even a couple of treadmills or ellipticals, I think, you know, students would be much more inclined to to utilize those spaces. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> and I think this must be a common experience among a lot of college students, not even just at St. Kate's, but at schools around the country. But it feels as though in the 70s, there was a very large population boom. So they had to build all these dorms super, super fast. Yes. So they're all sort of designed the same way. Yes. Just long hallways full of pretty small rooms, bathrooms that are central. Um, 
but the rooms aren't that big. And no. I know residence halls usually have a lot of rules about if you have a mini fridge, how big can that be? Can you have a microwave or does it have to be um, a special unit that you have to purchase separate? Or And those things can all be deterrents for students who are wanting to eat well or prepare their own food because mm-hmm. when you don't have space or equipment, you can't do it. Right. No, I totally agree. And even students who maybe have the space, they're not taught, you know, the proper ways to prepare a a well-rounded meal. They might be sticking to Easy Mac and popcorn instead of, you know, taking the extra time to chop up a few extra veggies and throw it in there. Um, So, yeah, it's since I mainly work with first-year students who don't have access to full kitchens, um, and who are, you know, new to this whole adult life thing. Um, yeah, getting proper nutrition is, is something that I'm, I'm worried that a lot of our students don't do mm-hmm. on a daily or weekly basis. Um, and when cafeterias and other on-campus eating established have such reduced hours, it doesn't leave a whole lot for students either. So I don't know. It would have to be definitely a, a more full-fledged campus approach, not just res life, not just dining, not just health and wellness. I think everybody really needs to be on the same page mm-hmm. um, and maybe getting some of those key players involved when it comes to setting hours or designing spaces to really mm-hmm. get all the sides of the story. Because a lot of the approaches, I mean, that we've talked about so far, like if a dining hall had more expanded hours, then students would be able to go more often or when they're actually hungry, but that costs money. That could potentially be a deterrent for a university trying to cut costs to close the cafeteria to save the money to not have to pay the workers. But then if that's at the expense of students, then you have to kind of weigh, are we a student-centered campus? Are we a money-centered campus? Right. And, you know, each university, each institution makes up their own kind of mission statement in that realm. And... I guess I can't really speak to where St. Kate's is falling in all of this, but it definitely begs the question on, like, what is our top priority? Is it the students or isn't the money? And unfortunately for a lot of institutions, I feel like as much as they want to be there for the students, the money is mm-hmm. the limiting factor, which is really, really hard for of course. for all of us. Yeah. And thinking about college campuses, not only availability of food on campus, but off campus. I discussed this a bit with Christina, but when you have college students who want to go off campus to purchase their own food, thinking about how can we make that easier and more accessible for our students. The grocery store closest to St. Kate's is not that far away. It's less than a mile to walk. However, in Minnesota, that walk could easily be covered in snow or 10 degrees or negative 10 degrees any time of the year. And that could really be a deterrent for students, especially students who have to walk all the way there and back and carry their own groceries. Right. And in all honesty, the four or five grocery stores that we have, even within two miles of campus, are Lunds and Byerly's, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods. They're not really directed at college students. They're a little bit higher priced. They might have really great produce, great local food, but it might be out of the price range for some of our students. So yes, they might be resorting to going to Target or a gas station or I don't know, even like Walmart and things are a little farther away. So yeah, 
options for eating off campus are definitely limited unless they're doing something like fast food or mm-hmm. or convenience store purchases. Yeah. So in the ideal world, a college campus focused on student success would perhaps provide regular shuttles to the grocery store. Absolutely. That would be great. Or even if they had some sort of local partnership with a farm or a distributor who could even bring some of those better options to campus at mm-hmm. a comparable price. I know our our convenience store on campus is trying to do that a little bit. And, and they've even, improved a lot. I've been here since freshman year. Yeah. And even in the last four years, it's improved quite a bit. Right. So, I mean, even more of that, expanding that selection, getting more of those foods even into the dining hall for students to to enjoy throughout the, the week would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So... There's definitely a lot of room for improvement there, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when you were an undergrad, can you describe what that experience was like for you? I know you were an RA there, right? Yes. So you lived in the residence halls. Yes. I lived in the same first-year building all four years, so I got to see kind of how things changed and progressed. And luckily for me, um, so I went to Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, and luckily for me, Luther is like one of the top leaders in in campus sustainability. So, I mean, we had composting, we had our own farm that I was able to work on, we had a windmill that powered, you know, the energy to our apartment-style buildings. That is so cool. We had a lot. And so coming, you know, even not even to just St. Kate's, but any other school, you know, some schools still don't even have recycling. And so when I had an in, in-hall in composting option in undergrad, and to no longer have that at a lot of other institutions, that was a huge, huge shock to me. Um, and I think one thing that made Luther and other college campuses like Luther so successful is they had really convinced the student body to care about their impact. We had, you know, sustainability educators who would work with each building and try to work with the RAs to to plan sustainability-minded programs, even as simple as, you know, instead of providing cups for a, a root beer float program, have the residents bring their own cups. Um, just those small little things really made a big difference over the years. Um, yeah, like I said, we were able to have composting in each of the residence halls. We had recycling in each of the residence halls. Um, oh, my goodness. We had community gardens, much like you did here at St. Kate's. We had a couple of those around campus where students and staff and faculty could go and pick their own produce to use. Um, and I, I know that's something a lot of people are very excited about. And I've seen it here at on campus, too, that oh my goodness, I didn't know that this was here and available to me. Like, I'm going to go home and make salsa or whatever it is from the garden. And Mm -hmm. I think getting the students on board to take ownership, like, was the driving most impactful part of Luther's success. And I see it in pockets here and there in St. Kate's, and I really hope that those students like yourself, you know, they can keep that fire going and not get discouraged because unfortunately this this is not going to be something that's going to happen overnight no matter where you are and it's going to take you know lots of hard work and dedication from a lot of students to really improve the mindset of the whole campus. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so awesome that they had sustainability educators at oh, yeah. Luther and that sounds in my dietetics classes I took a whole course on nutrition education and counseling mm-hmm ironically, with Christina, who I just interviewed, and we focus so much on knowing your audience and presenting information in really exciting ways and engaging your students in teaching them 
about things that'll benefit their health and not just, you know, yelling at them to eat carrots because that usually doesn't work, but no. showing them here's why you should eat carrots and here's where you can find them and here's how you can cook them and sort of keeping the whole process in mind and not just talking to people about nutrition, but showing them that it can be done right. and making it easy for them. Right. Yes. Um, I think one of the the coolest things that I was able to observe is we had a local co-op and they offered cooking classes. And so we had some of the instructors come in into the residence halls and kind of teach mini sessions on how to cook in a, in a residence hall. I mean, even if you're making stuff in a microwave or in the communal kitchen, there's still so many options out there for you, whether it is just adding a couple things to your instant ramen noodles to mm -hmm. spice it up a little bit or, you know, throwing some nutritional yeast on your popcorn or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be something, you know, you don't have to be preparing a, a five-course meal every night and it doesn't have to be, you know, hitting all those spots on the food pyramid. I know that's an outdated reference, but you know, what, what's the new thing? Um, it's called My Plate. My Plate, yes. Um, yeah, so I think it was really cool to see residents take what they learned at these kind of low level, low, low cost, um, low risk programs and feel like they that's something they could do, that it wasn't this high reaching unattainable goal. It was mm -hmm. something that they could realistically do. That's so cool. Yeah. So when we're talking about nutrition and wellness in mm -hmm. resident students especially, because that's mm -hmm. the population you mm -hmm. work with, um, where do you see sort of the biggest issues that resident students are having? Yeah, um, so there is a fair amount who are struggling with mental health, like we've kind of already talked about, and I know that Christine touched on as well, and how, you know, when you're struggling with mental health or physical health, that can impact you know, your ability to sleep, which leads to weight gain, which leads to overeating, which also leads to weight gain. Mm -hmm. Like they're all so, so interconnected. And so it is really easy to kind of look back on all of the individual stressors that college students might be facing and how those really compound, confound upon one another um, and make it into a much bigger deal. Um, so, I mean, mental health, financial problems, when, when they're stressed about money, they're, you know, maybe overworking themselves, working two, three jobs, and, and all that. And then not on campus when the cafeteria is open so they can't right. eat after work. Right. Or they have to go to their, back to their dorm room and just eat Easy Mac. Right. Yeah. So every, every little thing, even if you're looking at it, initially you might be like, how does that really impact their health? But yeah, exactly. If they're not on campus, if all their money is going to bills, we have students who send money home to family members who spend that money on on Easy Mac, on whatever. Who spend that um, money on drinking, because that's a thing that college students do. Christine yes. and I talked about that. Yes, and that luckily I think our, our, our first-year students are pretty good. We don't have a lot of incidents, at least on campus, so I'm, I'm hoping that they're being smart about their choices. But I know, like, even after I turned 21, like, I noticed change in my own body composition after alcohol was introduced to my diet, and mm -hmm. that's not something that college students realize like how many calories are actually in a beer or a mixed drink and yeah even if they're doing it safely and legally if they're doing it every weekend you'll they'll start to notice a difference exactly it's real a statistic i found from a literature review that looked at a ton of studies in weight gain in first year for semester college students found that on average 
about two-thirds of the students were gaining weight, and then the ones that were gaining weight were gaining about seven and a half pounds wow. average. Okay. Um, one thing I, I talked with a couple students about towards the beginning of the year is just a change in their daily routine. They might have been a college ath- or um, excuse me, a high school athlete exercising four, five, six times a week, mm-hmm. a coach or teammates are keeping them accountable, and then now they're in college and either they choose not to participate in a sport or it's not the same level of rigor, and suddenly, you know, that isn't there to keep them accountable, and they choose not to work out, they keep eating the same amount, but if they're not burning the same amount of calories, mm-hmm. that that shift really does make a difference. I've had some of my own friends experience that, and they're like, what am I doing so differently? I'm healthy, I'm fit. But when they're not keeping up the same little activity they did for 15 years. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And when I notice social media or rhetoric mm-hmm. about the freshman 15, as yes. it's called, I see it mostly targeted towards women. Yes. And that sort of bothers me because men experience this too. Obviously, most of the studies in that literature view were co-ed because most colleges are co-ed. Right. But it bothers me that so many articles are how to get your spring break bod back or... <laughs> You know, just other like how to lose that weight. And it just bothers me that the rhetoric is so focused on blaming the students when really, as we've talked about, there are so many institutional reasons yes. for weight gain that are out of students' control. Right. I, I totally agree. And unfortunately, I, I think the approaches to changing behavior in, in men and women are different. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to either changing institutional factors or changing individual factors. And, you know, I think we're fortunate at an all-women's college, we can kind of target that a little more towards um, a wider slice of our population. But yes, at a co-ed college, those kinds of targeted ads that are unhealthy are only focusing on women. And the men might think that there's no problem and that they're fine to continue on doing what they're doing and that could end up being more detrimental to them in the end. Yeah. And yes, the nature of those ads are often, you know, probably do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. When you're stressing out about something and trying to limit intake, you might end up overeating elsewhere or just the stress Forming of unhealthy it. habits. Yes, there or, we go. Yeah. That's, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> and I think with women, it is a bit different the weight gain itself because mm-hmm. women on average finish puberty faster. They're finished yes. growing faster. Whereas like I know several of my guy friends got to college <laughs> and got two inches taller or put on weight right. because they were still growing. Right. But for women, that's not usually the case. Right. And yeah, like, like you're kind of alluding to your body between ages like 15 to 25 is already going through like natural changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's sometimes no rhyme or reason to why people gain weight. It's sometimes just a a coincidence of timing. Like that's maybe where their body was going anyway. And it just happened to coincide with their freshman year of college Um, in in combination with all these other factors, definitely influencing it. But I asked Jess if there was anything else related to our topic that she wanted to talk about. I think what's really interesting, so I'm taking a course right now on, on social health behavior and kind of how we instill behavior change in people. And there's kind of this debate out there on 
are people so there's this debate on how community and social networks play into health and what better population to observe this in than college students. I mm-hmm. mean, they are like the epitome of being connected to everyone around them. When you live eight feet from six of your closest neighbors. Right. You literally cannot help it. And then when you add the social media aspect and, and everything else on on top of it, like there's no way for a student in today's age to truly unplug and disconnect from their, their social network. Um, and so there's some thoughts out there about, you know, how people's behavior changes based on the community they're involved in. So whether it's everybody in their social group is doing something, kind of that like traditional peer pressure approach. If everybody's working out, are they more inclined to work out? If everybody's smoking, are they more inclined to smoke? Or on the other hand, are they are people with like behaviors drawn together? So are people who exercise drawn together already? Mm. So it's kind of like, yeah. you know, chicken or the egg, what ca- what came first? And I'm not aware of any studies that are specifically done in college students related to these kinds of health behaviors. But I think that's kind of where things should be progressing since this is such a dynamic change in these young students' lives. They're being around new people, new experiences, new life changes. There's just a lot going on. And so kind of to examine how the role of community, like the ones that are being built in the residence halls, could either really help or harm these students at such a Mm -hmm. crucial time. And how can we sort of empower and influence those communities of students to make positive choices as a group. Right. I mean, thinking about me and my roommate, it is so much easier for us to prepare a healthy dinner when we're cooking with each other or for each other. If I get home first and she won't be home till later, I can still get dinner started because I know that both of us are going to be eating it. Right. Versus like if I eat by myself, I'm just going to have grilled cheese. Right. Yeah. Having someone else to keep you accountable, I think, is is huge. And I would be curious to see, you know, with our students here, we have a lot of students who want to live alone. Mm-hmm. And how is them living alone versus someone else who has a roommate or two or three roommates, how are their health behaviors different and how is their weight gain or nutritional choices different? Yeah. When you don't have someone there saying, should you really be eating that second bag of Oreos? Like, you know. <laughs> Or yeah. someone there who's saying, hey, let's eat a second bag of Oreos. Right, right. It goes both ways. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I would definitely be interested to know how that role of community and social networks influence mm-hmm. health behaviors in college students. Yeah. Jess and I reflected on how we felt during our conversation because we felt as though we were complaining about our educational institution. But we realized that our individual experiences with health on our college campuses don't necessarily reflect the opinions of other students, and they have a lot to do with individual perspective. You could have the best laid plan in the universe. It could be the best, like, mindful, healthy campus in the world, and students would still find ways to, you know. There would always be students to complain about it, and there would always be students who, to them, their health isn't as high of a priority, or maybe they don't think about it as much, so they're just not investing in the programs that are available to them. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, when I was a first year, I was more worried about making friends, 
fitting in, doing well in my classes. I was like, I'm 18, I'm young, I'm healthy, I don't need to watch what I eat. And sure enough, I gained a couple pounds, whether that was because I was eating a pack of Oreos a night, a little bit of an exaggeration, but, (laughs) or if it was just natural body changes, whether it's, you know, I was dancing less where in high school I was dancing 15 to 20 hours a week and in college it was maybe four hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard to look back on it and say this was the one thing. Um, and so unfortunately I think sometimes students don't have that long-term perspective about the choices they make now and how that can influence them in the long run. It was so much fun to chat with a fellow student about issues that we're both so passionate about. I think that college students are some of the greatest people because of their potential and their willingness to learn and grow. And I see so many areas where universities can invest in the health and well-being of the students that walk through their doors. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Feed That Nation. My name is Natalie Nation, and I'll talk to you soon.